0: We are sitting here in Girona with my old teammate, good friend, Marcel Kittle. and we're actually enjoying a cold beer. Yes, we do. This is actually the first time I think I've had a beer when doing a podcast. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's sad. It is sad. <laughs> oh, no. I was just saying, very sad. We normally have a cup of tea because we're on a race or something. Um, welcome. Welcome to Life in the Peloton. And today I want to talk to you about um, becoming a sprinter the title I want to use, I'm a sprinter now. And, um, to go back to the beginning and you're going to have to correct me if I'm wrong along along the way here. Um, mm-hmm. you were a TT, a time trialist. And in the beginning, you know, 2005, 2006, you were world junior time trial champion. So not just any time trialist, an awesome one. You know, and then following that, 2007, 2009, 2010, You were German TT time trial champion, European time trial champion, under 23, and then third at the world. So it's looking like you are going to be the next Tony Martin, you could say. Oh, I, was well, on, I was definitely on a good way. You're on a good time. way, exactly. Yeah, for yeah. Sure. Yeah. yeah, And challenging our... I know Luke Durbridge, he's a good time trialist too, and he always, he always used to speak to me, oh, Marcel, you used to be this freak time trialist. And I said, well, he probably still is a freak time trialist, but he doesn't do him anymore. Full gas. Um... But then, in 2011, you signed professional with School Shimano. I was on that team, and we met there. And I didn't realise. I thought your first sprint was with me in a race called um, Tour Four Days of Dunkirk in in France. But I actually was just having a look before, and I, I noticed that your first sprint victory with the team was the Tour de Yeah. And. Uh, so what I wanted to speak to you about today was that transition from suddenly being a time trialist, then suddenly winning these sprints early in your career. And take me through that Langkawi sprint. Was the team going, Marcel, I think you can sprint or it just happen that way or tell me about it. So um, I will start with that transition, which
1: is actually, it's hard to, um, actually, it's not hard to describe But uh, it might be a bit hard to understand how someone who was maybe successful in his youth in time trial, uh, that he suddenly turned into a sprinter. That's what people see when they check results. Uh, But you have to know that when I started cycling, actually, uh, after one or two years, I really started to win races in sprints and not in time trials. Right. um, In your juniors? In no yeah even before in the under 15 mm. um that's i think um, and and then afterwards with 16 i got german champion youth champion mm-hmm. uh, in a sprint uh and uh, that was actually my biggest result until then and when i started cycling uh with 13 14 i was really lucky to have a training group at my hometown uh that yeah, where we would do the training together, also the racing, and that's where we also started to do in those small races uh, to work really as a team for the sprint because mm. we said, Okay, Marcel, he's the fastest, and we are going to do a lead out for you. So that's actually what we did there is already the same what I'm doing now. Still. Back in
0: those days, because yeah, really. I, th- from what I understood, was that you and John Degencom were coming, same age, came through the yeah. juniors together, and I don't know. I understood that he was always a sprinter and you were the time trialist. And then, yeah, then you came to skill and, you know, you started sprinting there. But previous to that, you were already sprinting.
1: Yeah. So what what I just said is that happened around, I don't know, before the juniors, Mm. before the juniors, before I came there. So uh, when I came into the juniors uh, in that time, also my coach said to me, with the success that I had sometimes, uh, you know, in the years before in, in time trial, that I would have a good chance to also get good results in time trial. It was always clear we'll go for a sprint, but uh, let's try also time trial and, yeah, it's... Um, that worked, yeah. Yeah, it worked very well. Uh, it's hard to explain where hmm. it comes from, but, um, yeah, apparently I was at that time really good in time trial and also in sprint. but. What happened in that period is, I think that's something that you shouldn't forget, is also that I made mentally a change from uh, a sprinter more to a time trialist, so I really focused more on that. I also trained more on that, like like longer power trainings on the bike. And um, that, in the end, changed me also for my focus more in the direction of time
0: trial than sprint. Mm. Which yeah. is a totally different mentality. It's, it's, yeah, it is totally a totally different, different mentality. Yeah. Yeah. So then talk me through, when you came on to school, Shimano. Were yeah. you signed as a time trialist? I was signed. I still remember those discussions for
1: the contract. Uh, the team came up to me. They said, okay, listen, Marcel, we think you are uh, a really good time trialist. And we, uh, we are really convinced that you will have a good chance uh, in the leadout uh, for our sprinters. So that was my role. Who was the
0: sprinter? Kenny, Kenny, Kenny Van, Van Hoel. Yeah, Kenny right. Van yeah. Imagine leadouts you would have done. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's Actually, that's how I started in the team. And then when we started to do training camps together in Mallorca, I still remember Mallorca. That was the first training camp where I won the sprint against anyone else yeah. uh, there. The training sprint.
0: <laughs> That's I think where everyone, maybe Kenny, uh, especially, got a bit uh, scared. <laughs> <laughs> we just like absolutely annihilate. Because I wasn't there that year. I remember. And what you just annihilate them in the sprint? Yeah, I actually. Yeah, I. So there was nobody who had any chance
1: against me. <laughs> that was pretty funny. But at that point. For myself I didn't really realize um you know how far I can get in the in the professionals with that sprint because I had no possibility to to compare it.
0: Yeah, you're like oh, okay it's a training sprint yeah. that was good but we're I training. Mean, everyone can win a training yeah, yeah. not everyone but it's, it's different. It's, different. Yeah, it's yeah, very yeah.
1: different totally. to a race. So what then you went to Langkawi and then the first race was Langkawi and the uh, first stage was I think 120 kilometers not sure uh, how long exactly but not very long we arrived there um, as a pro continental team in style just the day before (laughs) six hours time difference 30 uh, degrees difference in temperature and everyone was super tired and we tried to do the lead out for kenny on that day and that didn't work at all because i was yeah, I I seriously I couldn't handle uh, my responsibilities on my positions. I had uh, I had no experience uh, what what actually the team also Kenny von Hummel as a sprinter expected from me. So, uh Kenny then said, "Okay, Marcel, listen. We are going to change the positions now. Tomorrow, so on stage 2, we are going to do the lead out for you." Wow. And um then you will see how we do it and then we try to keep on uh, working, you know, that you actually learn what you how what good is that from, from Kenny yeah, yeah I, I can honestly say Kenny was very fair to me yeah uh, I have, till now I still have a good relationship with him uh, mm. at that time he for sure was a, he was a crazy sprinter he was and that's he's also famous for that but in the end um, that, that was my start because the next day I won the stage <laughs> and it was my first professional win
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh wow I mean like that's, that's I didn't know that story at all when I was just reading before you, results I like Lane Cowley I don't remember that but yeah. um to fast forward to Dunkirk that's when I started working with you and we got word that you were sprinting um and we are going to try and do a lead out and the same like you I was very new to the lead out game we sort of helped Kenny but he was one of those sprinters if I could compare him to an Australian sprinter Robbie McEwen where he was very good at just going on his own way yeah and what we sort of did when I say lead out we loosely let him out and we sort of helped him and dropped him on his way one because we probably weren't strong enough and two yeah he liked it like that so then when it came to you I think we sort of took the same approach and um, I specifically remember one story Um, I think it was the first stage of Dunkirk it mightn't have been but um, you know we were trying to get you up there and it was a bit of crosswind before 5k to go i remember i had a rider in front of me and eventually he had to swing out and we we're trying to hold and you you on my wheel and then i could only hold there so long in the crosswind and then i had to swing out and i remember looking at the sign showing 2k to go i thought to myself oh you're about 30 wheels back <laughs> um, and i just remember thought to myself oh shit did a pretty shit job there i was like oh well i wonder how he went and i'm rolling in you know i got dropped I rolled in and I was thinking oh he might have he might have got top 10 or something you know it would be good and I remember you're ecstatic at the line Mitch Mitch and I was like oh how'd you go I won (laughs) I won I was like what you're like and the lead out such a good lead out (laughs) (laughs) that's a lie (laughs) it is that's true and I was laughing to myself I was thinking mate I did not lead you out you did that on your own we just helped you along the way and you know the race went on like that. You know, we, we try to get you inside the K. I think that's probably the best we could do. But from that moment there, you sort of, um, you stepped it up. I think you, you know, won four of the five stages there. Yeah. So that was, that was the beginning of... What I really learned in that race is uh,
1: how important it is. Oh, I, actually, I learned this confidence lesson, you know, how, how important it is to believe in yourself. Because when you're convinced that you know your teammates just they just drop you in the last kilometer and you will find your way. Hmm. you actually do. It's uh, I, I cannot explain it anymore. It's just a feeling. it's just a, maybe um, maybe a view that you have then on that final in, and, and, and you know where you have to go, you will see what is happening. And that's actually what happened also there. I mean everyone was super motivated after that first win. The team really believed in me, in me, and I took really that energy out of out of that belief.
0: You're like, the, they believe I can do it, so I yeah. can
1: do it. And for me, I mean, it's it was incredible to yeah to to start my career as a professional. I didn't expect anything when mm. I became professional, but suddenly I'm in a position where I can win races and. Um, It was just so motivating and so cool to just see that. Also, what happens not only with me, but also with the whole group of Mm. riders, of my teammates around me, everyone was motivated to do something. So, yeah, that's
0: probably one of the best um, ways to start your professional career. Yeah, well, fast forward now then, because you just brought that up, the mindset, and I want to get into, back then, exactly you described, it was... Look, they were just discovering you as a sprinter. I'm talking about the team. And maybe yourself a little bit too, that you could win the professional races. But there wasn't a whole lot of pressure on you uh, to win big races. It was like, get in there, see what you can do, and the results were coming off. I I can imagine it was a different mentality in comparison to the later years now, where you've gone away and won some Tour de France stages, and now when you come or even the other Grand Tour stages as well, just big races. Now when you come in, you're in a different team, and there's that expectation there. How is your mindset coming into these sprints now? Actually, I, I still try to keep it the same.
1: <clears throat> you know, w- what is probably the most important thing that I ever learned in cycling is from my father. That uh, He always kept saying to me, especially when I was young and I started with cycling, you can be always happy with your race when you know you did your best. Mm. And... Uh, if you did your best and you won a race, that's perfect. If you did your best and you couldn't even finish the race, then yeah, that's how it is. It's, it's in that moment it's pretty simple. Uh, I mean, if you're not strong enough, you just have to to accept it and uh, overcome maybe the disappointment and then uh, try to you know set a new set a new goal or come back to the next race and try to do it better. And that's something that helped me when I when I got professional. So when I was when I sat in the team bus and I had no clue what is going to happen now in that maybe first professional race or in the first uh, half of my season. And I always try to calm me down with that, and I still do that now.
0: Yeah, so cool. when I'm
1: when I'm getting overwhelmed. Yeah, when I'm just in a moment like the tour. Of course, is is the biggest race for me uh, every season. Uh, I'm under pressure, my team is under pressure to go there for victories, but you just have to, or I can just calm myself down with that thought, okay, this is this is maybe the tour, this is maybe a very important race, but if I go out now, and I just do my best, and uh, I can win with it, perfect. And otherwise. just be
0: honest with yourself, Yeah. when you're out there hurting, you, all you have to do is like, I'm only proving this to myself, I have to just give 100% right now. Yeah. Yeah that's I it's it's really easy i mean
1: so when i started as a professional then for me i have i had nothing to lose hmm. i just tried to it was pure fun really that's also how i how i started my professional career thinking okay now i got this chance to um start in in, the, in a pro continental team that's what i was always waiting for why hmm. should i give it away i just do it now maybe only for 2 years because at the end I was maybe not good enough and have go b- have to go back to university but maybe I can also you know a oh, a bit further
0: yeah
1: and uh, with that mentality I started and uh, of course that really changed because I started to win uh, teams started to get uh, to get interested in me and your your position is changing from nothing to lose to uh, to, uh, to to high expectations yeah. and you you actually get signed uh, you know and, and everyone knows, okay, you have to win now. Hmm. That's a different situation, but I think in that moment, uh, the mindset is still the same. Have you, do has really there been,
0: the has there been parts where, you, where your mindset has wearied off the track and you're like, shit, you know, why can't I do it anymore? And then you're like, hang on, I need to just get back to basics. What did I promise myself? And you go back to what you knew, or you've always stayed more or less on that same track, even though when the pressures mounted up. No, I'm, I think I, I lost many times yeah. that that way, that direction. Of, that's totally
1: normal. Huh? Yeah. If you, um, I don't know. If you, for example, 2014, when I was at the start of the tour, I thought, oh, shit, now tomorrow is the first stage and everyone expects me to get that yellow jersey maybe for a second time. Okay, it's not only me. It was also Cavendish in that moment and other sprinters. But um, I, in that moment, I... I started to feel a bit of pressure, but I really tried to hold it off thinking, okay, I got it at least once already. So mm. uh, in the worst case, I can, I still have that. I've already got it. I've already achieved yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that's the that's, way you try to trick yourself. That's where you try to bring you a little yeah. bit in a position where you say, okay, I have nothing to lose again. Yeah. Like, like when I started to become a professional.
0: Mm, interesting. And you get those guys you're coming up against, you just pull them up Cavendish, Greipel, John Degenkobb like are you able to block these guys out or do they bring in shit these guys are here you know like is that building up on pressure as well or is it more your individual aspirations it's a challenge
1: yeah I think and uh um, I mean that's why I always love to do sports because I wanted to win and winning feels even sweeter when you have good competition at the start Mm. so uh I think that's, that's the little extra when you know, okay, there are a lot of other good sprinters starting in
0: the same race. Imagine and they I also want to win. Imagine I beat them. Yeah. yeah. It's going to feel yeah. even sweeter. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Well, run me through. Um, this is something that, because I'm involved with the sprints as well, I have a bit of a process myself when I'm on a sprint day. I get to a certain, certain point in the race where it's game on. You know, you've got... The race has a certain flow. The beginning's all about getting the breakaway sorted, which can be hard sometimes. Mm -hmm. Then after that, there's a bit of tempo where a team's controlling. And then if it's a sprint stage, you start... the, The race starts speeding up and you start to move into sprint mode. For me, it starts at about 50k out, maybe even 60k out, where I'm like, okay, I'm switching on. I'm having my final, you know, gels... I'm planning out my final kilometres okay, you know, a 40k to go, I'm going to have another gel with some caffeine in it, that's going to kick in, um, and then I want to be on that wheel, I'm thinking about the finish, and then um, I've got to talk to the sprinter, make sure he's okay, and then, you know, uh, speak to the train, make sure they, they know the positioning, and then I'm, I'm counting it down like that. In a specific race for, for a sprint stage, what, what is your protocol that you might run by? I personally always
1: try to try to concentrate on what we uh, talked about or discussed um, the day before, or the you know in the morning before the race as a team, where we want to be as a team. Um, it's also important for me to see that my teammates they are sharp, they know what we what we want to do today, today what we want to achieve. And I think I did my best sprints sprints knowing that everything is planned and i can just go in the final now and i know that uh, we have a plan and we will we will just stay together and see what happens and when i can also feel you know when i'm relaxed it's for me much easier mm. to go into a final than if i'm not which is probably very normal it's for everyone the same yeah and you because you can just keep your focus much better on on what is really important in that stage on the final i don't know maybe there is a sharp corner at kilometer three where you want to be in front um but i don't really have like a like a routine that i follow in the final it's just all about um seeing a little bit how the bunch behaves uh, feeling also myself Uh, am i nervous am i still calm and um, to be honest, a sprint is always so different to, to what you maybe discussed in a meeting mm. before or what you were expecting that for me it's almost almost wrong to expect anything. So actually I go a lot of times just in a final thinking, okay, if I stay on the wheel of my guys, nothing will happen to me. And if we are on position 50 at 1.2 kilometers to go, we will still be able to find a way to come somehow to the front.
0: That's an amazing trust because that's one thing I've noticed with working with a lot of sprinters that's you're trying to get that trust with them and say hey and you believe yourself that you will get them there but you want them to go look if we are on position 50 with 2k to go don't worry we'll be there huh. but a lot of sprinters naturally go they freak out they're like you know what I can do my job this job better and I can get my own way to the front and they get there in the wind the sprint happens and they are buggered. and building that trust up is a big thing and um, it's interesting to hear you say that. Has there been there times where you've gone, geez, I've, I trusted you guys and you you buggered it up, like you didn't get me to the front where you said or whatever happened and you lose the trust then or you say, like, cool, that can happen? I think it's important that this
1: happens uh, because that's where you see, you know, for sure you see mistakes or problems that you still have in a, in a lead out, for example, as a team. So you can learn from it, you are able to discuss it. Um, but what is also important is in that in those difficult moments when your team is really challenged to still find a solution to the problem, to mm. bring your sprinter to the front, then you know who has a feeling uh, for the sprint for the, for the last two kilo- kilometers, who can really stay calm when guys are maybe crashing or stuff like this is happening because it freaks out a lot of guys, mm. not only sprinters. And uh, I guess that's where the real quality of a team uh, can be seen. And a lot of times, or like now in, in Quick Step, I have my leadout man with uh, Fabio Zabatini. And I, I know, like I said before, if I'm on position 50 at, at 1.5 kilometers to go, I'm sure, and even if he has to sacrifice himself way too early already, he will bring me in the final. Mm. And that trust is really, really important. And if you have one guy, or maybe even still a second one, then yeah, your lead out is almost always sure, or you know that you will Yeah, win.
0: But then, what, how did you get to that level of trust with him so fast? It was just from day one he did a good job, and you were like, "Wow, oh, this guy's good, or someone told you, or, you know, because it is a big thing to take on. Um, yeah, I think on, I can
1: honestly say I got also very lucky that I could yeah. meet Saba, for example, what? when I changed teams from giant to step, um, and that you know that he was there and really? I, I didn't know him you know before that and suddenly we are in the race together the team uh, expects us to do sprints and lead outs together and you have no clue who that person actually is yeah. mm. so that's that's a weird that's a really
0: weird situation in the beginning but uh, and there's a lot of expectation on you to win the stage and you're like shit now I'm just trusting this guy I've got no idea about yeah so you, what I did is when
1: I came into Quickstep, for example, I asked to, to room in the training camp with um, not only Saba but also with uh, other lead-out guys like, nice. like Max Ricese to really get to know them and uh, to get a feeling for each other. That's very hmm. important. And
0: um, I think that worked very well. Yeah, <laughs> it did, yeah, <laughs> it did. Um, tell me, off the topic of sprinting now, um, You've sort of touched on it. It's a simple question, but tell me what you really love about the job of cycling. This is something that I had an accident last year in Roubaix. And I got a chance to reset and had a chance to think about, you know, do I really love the sport? I was doing the sport and you get caught up in it and you, you, like we were just discussing before this podcast, you're looking at the next thing all the time. And you're not actually taking in that moment, going, you know, do I actually love this sport? And I had a moment where I was just out riding, no training or anything, I just went, you know what, I'm just going to find out if I still love riding. Went out riding up in Andorra, and I was like, wow, I love this. And then the next step was, do I want to race? And then, you know, it went from there. But I found the love for cycling that I always had, but I realised it. So for you, if you can think about it, what are those moments that you really love about the sport um, oh that's a difficult question yeah it's something you it's, don't think about you uh, know, you give a normal answer and you know oh, yeah i love it you know get on no bike. no no yeah it's it's um well, i'm
1: i'm you know the re- maybe i just start when when with when i started cycling in general uh, actually when i started cycling I, that was uh, a period where i just couple of months before I finished to do track and field, sprinting and stuff like this Mm. and uh, I was bored during the summer so uh, we went to a holiday on holiday as a family and I asked my father, he was always on the bike um, would you get me a, a, a bicycle I would just try to like to try cycling and see if it is something for me or not so he got me a bike, we did the first 30 kilometers together uh, it was a really, really hot summer day, and I came home, and I was completely dead, really. I was I was in the kitchen on the floor. It was a really cold, cold floors with tiles, and I had my legs up against the wall, and I was completely empty, but I really enjoyed that moment. You know, when that's that's a moment when, when you're really exhausted, but you can feel your, your legs are... That sense of a little, achievement, yeah. yeah, your legs are a little bit itchy, and you... You, yeah, you're just proud of what you just did, and I guess that was one of the, or is still one of the reasons why I really like to do sports and like to do sports in general, but also cycling in particular, because that feeling when you did a six or seven hour ride is, uh, is, uh, yeah, it's hard to you yeah. probably don't get it somewhere else in your life, and um, it's I, a beautiful feeling. It's yeah. a beautiful feeling, and after that I kept. Kept doing cycling i kept riding my bike and actually the first winter winter i had was the worst winter ever so we we did three four hour rides or actually three hour rides in two degrees and and snow and rain and i really hated it i came home i cried but and my father said to my mother i heard it i think he doesn't know but i heard it <laughs> if he survives that winter uh, be... he will he will continue because I really in that moment I was I thought why should why should I do that stupid <laughs> shit riding in the rain it's cold other other guys are just sitting at home watching television hanging out with their friends and I'm here in the, on the bike um doing that stuff but uh in the end when you come home even after a very cold ride uh, you're very proud of what you did yeah and I guess that's one of the moments uh, in sport that really keep motivating me and um Probably that's the main reason why I keep riding my bike. Besides the fact that I just, you know, like to, I'm competitive. I mm. like to win. I also like that feeling.
0: No, that was that but was more the answer it I was looking for. The true answer, you know that. I think yeah, I guess that's it. You know, you got to you've got to have that. That it's bigger than winning. You know, it's bigger than the money. It's bigger than the, the yeah. You know, because it's it's at the end of the day, it's you doing those rides out there. I, I never started
1: cycling, you know, with the idea to to become a professional. Mm. Uh, in that moment, I also I had no role models. In that time, typically children would have Jan Ulrich, for example, as a role mm. model. But that was never the case for me. For me, my father was my role model. He was the guy who guided me also into the sport, who you know helped me to set up my bike or my helmet, stuff like this, and. Um, yeah, I guess I really just did it mm. because you know, I enjoyed riding with him. I also later enjoyed riding with my training group at at home and we did the races. We lived this lived this life on the road, you know, in this really small bus where we went to the races. Uh,
0: all very simple but really really cool, mm. really really fun, really times. nice memories also. And then now to change the the mood, what are the things that you actually hate?
1: Um, things I actually hate.
0: I'm just trying to think now myself.
1: What I, as a professional, or just on, you know, being on the bike in general? Yeah, I guess, yeah, I guess as a professional. I think what I don't like as a professional is everything that comes with being a professional. Uh all that stuff that is not really directly related to cycling or the the media you know, and all that all the stuff the media um, all the other obligations that you have to to fulfill uh, yeah of course also the pressure is something which mm. is completely different if you just ride your bike for fun it's a completely different situation compared to uh, being a professional who gets paid who has expectations for races to win races also
0: I guess you, um, I guess it's a love hate relationship with that too, because that pressure, like you said before, makes those victories all the more sweeter. You know, if that pressure wasn't there, yes, the victories would still be good, but would they be as good?
1: No, of course not. I mean, you know what I mean. Winning in the tour means uh, you survived a really big big load of pressure. You 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 know everyone is happy with your with your. Uh, Result, and you can really feel, or I personally always feel, in the tour. Okay, I'm happy that it's done. Mm. uh, When I won a race, or when I finish the tour in general, because it's such an exhausting race. It's, it's, yeah. That's that's probably one of the downsides in in cycling because it's very competitive on a professional level, which is normal. But um, yeah, probably it's 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 very different to what you would do if you just
0: you know if you are on your, on your bike to enjoy it mm, yeah it is totally different it is totally um, alright well I'm going to just break off into some simple questions now um, you mentioned before Jan Ulrich or Ulrich as you sp- Ulrich yeah Ulle. <laughs> Ulle, as it's <laughs> correctly pronounced yeah um, who's your favourite pro who do you admire? It could be someone now. Oh. Or it could be old.
1: Who's my favorite? I have to say, um, and that's not the answer on your question, but maybe to give you a little bit a feeling for how I see cycling in general, um, I don't really have... Oh, for me it was always hard to identify myself with this uh, cycling culture, you know, because I r- never really connected grew, with it. Grew, grew up in a way that I thought, okay, what's the latest and best equipment on the bike? I, I was, to be honest, I was never really interested in it. You're just riding it, and I just rode my bike, and I was also not. When I started uh, cycling, I was also not really following professional cycling. It just, of course, it, it develops with the time. You start to get also more interested in that. But um, I was never—I don't know—I didn't look, I didn't watch those old
0: races from Eddie Merckx or I don't know well, other could, other old. It could be someone now. You could be have someone you admire actually in the peloton. You got go. You know what? I actually, really admire Mitch. You know the way that he he, <laughs> yeah. he goes about in the peloton. You know, or something what, like that. What
1: What I admire now are just in general guys that that um, that find also a little bit their way next to cycling. Mm. Uh, for example, you with your podcast, or just your your interested in, uh, your interest in beer stuff like this, where yeah. you know, okay, someone is getting a little bit of character just also from that. Um, I also admire, for example, Manuel Quinsato for, for finishing his law degree. Wow, uh, I didn't know that. Him, yeah, it took him 16 years. 16 years? 16 years he was studying, for, oh. and now he's now he's finished it. Um, that's something which also inspires me, because yeah. it's it's something which doesn't happen in the normal cycling world, mm. so it's something really special. But I also have to say I admire guys like Tom Boone, for example, for... Mm. For, for his working attitude uh, his whole attitude to his sport he's very professional he's um he's also still very very motivated if you see how many races he won yeah uh, yeah it's really fascinating I so,
0: find it I find it really hard to believe that he'll be retiring this year yeah it just doesn't seem like it's that time yet for him no. you know but it is you know it's always a time yeah I agree exactly I mean, what you probably, say it just seems so uh, for lack of a better word professional you know like it's just it's just great I think it's there's a there's a moment and you should probably
1: also find that moment um, that good moment where you say okay my my career is done because if you keep on going and you don't finish you want to finish on a
0: nice yeah and you remember you you remember it nicely yeah Yeah. what's your favourite race maybe a race you haven't done or maybe a race you have done or won many times I don't know uh My favorite race actually still is Hamburg. Yeah? Wattenfallside
1: Classic. Nice. I tried to win it already many times. Uh, I was sometimes always... Oh, sometimes unlucky. Sometimes, uh, you know, uh, I messed up the sprint. 34, uh, so still... the
0: Wazenberg, which is the hill at the end of the race. Um, is it the Wazenberg? Yeah, the yeah. Wazenberg, yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's
1: difficult, it's hard, but it's all about positioning. If you, if you have a good shape... And you uh, know where to be before you go in that final the downhill descent before the Vaseberg starts, then you're good. Yourself. How did you go last year? Uh, I had a puncture last kilometre. God, it was finished, so. dangerous the last year in the yeah. wet, wasn't it? Yeah. But actually the final was dry, but just uh, the, that final circuit over the
0: Vaseberg was really rain. a lot of rain. I heard a great story the other day from the guys who were racing against Jan Ulrich, and they said... When he used to go to Hamburg, because he came off the Tour de France, he was absolutely flying. Yeah, and they said on the Weiserberg, he just in one particular year, apparently just just rode away and just made everyone just else away. yeah just stayed away and just made everyone else look like nothing. And I was just like, wow. It would have been a, a yeah. It's, it's
1: maybe also that's maybe also a reason why I like that race because you come out of the tour. Yeah, you're on a super form. high level, and uh, yeah, it doesn't really hurt you. And there's also
0: much. many German races anymore.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah, World Tour especially. It's the only one left. The World Tour is it in Germany?
0: What other races are there? Bayern Rundfahrt. Bayern
1: Rundfahrt is is gone. Oh, it's only uh, Münsterland now. And uh, and Hamburg Rund um Köln and oh no now Berlin. I'm wrong actually now Berlin is also gone but uh, Frankfurt oh, yeah. that's uh, in the new world tour since oh, this yeah, year, since so,
0: 17 yeah. Yeah. Um, seeing as we're having a beer what's your favorite drink could be beer could be coffee it's could be Edix power drink no <laughs> 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 not because I
1: don't like it but just it's, it's it, enough you have it so much in the races there's a moment where you just can't drink it anymore I actually when I sit down with friends I like to drink a beer.
0: What? Beer. A, a, Belgian beer. In Belgian particular. beer I like it. Wow, I got some belgies in there. I should have brought them out. Damn. <laughs> See. Duvel. I've got a Duvel in there. Duvel, yeah, my personal favorite is the La Chouffe. Nice. That's my favorite. I've actually been out to La Chouffe in it's, the brewery. Yeah. Oh, so where I was when I was say. originally living in Belgium, La Chouffe, which is the brewery, it's on it's actually off the road of Liège and it's not that far from where I was living and I loved it too and I was like I've got to go to this brewery so I drove out there and you get there and you go down this tiny little road and you get down this road in there's a little town called Ashuf and in that town is a brewery and a pub that's it and the brewery is tiny too <laughs> and the brewery tour was in French and I went there with my wife and we did the tour and so the lady would speak in French for about five minutes and then she did. She said, I'll translate for you into English. So she'd be talking on and on and on. And then she'd go to us, that's the tanks. That's it. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, right. That, that's that's you. all you said, yeah. Anyway, so we did the tour there, which was great. And then they go, okay, do you want to do some tastings? We're like, yeah. And they're like, oh, okay, we'll just go to the pub across the road. And you guys can just drink what you want from the pub. And that was the tastings. That was the tour. You get to wear one of those little... Um those red uh, the red gnome hats. Yeah, yeah. Everyone gets one of those with a little bell on it. And you go across there and drink drink all the beer. It was a brilliant Someone told me that the little dwarf that is on the on the on the
1: bottle is called um Marcelica or something. Oh I right, I didn't know that. That's yeah. his name. Yeah, someone told me. I I didn't check it myself, but I've I heard
0: hope it's true. <laughs> I've heard now that he's getting made by Duval, though. It takes a little bit of the Oh, yeah? The shine of it for me, because originally it was just that little brewery and then it got bought out now. I didn't know. That. But it is a good little beer. Yeah, that's that's something that I really like about Belgium.
1: <coughs> and also in particular about Belgian beers, but also about you know, Indian pale ales, if it doesn't matter where they come from, you really have this variety also in taste like like with wine. So mm. if you really even if you're only a little bit interested in it, you can really say, okay, I like a sweet beer today and then uh, maybe a really bitter one. Mm. And you simply don't have that. I mean, me as a German coming from Germany, drinking a lot of Pils, Pilsner, mm. I really hate it, mm. really, because there is no taste anymore. Yeah, and it's and from Australia. all those big uh, companies, it's always the same taste. Yeah. You, if you let some people just test them blind, they, they wouldn't won't, know. Won't, even tell, won't be able to
0: tell you a difference. No, exactly. So yeah.
1: that's that's why I like uh, those, those Belgian beers. Yeah.
0: Well, let's have a Belgian beer and let's turn the microphone off. Thanks, right. mate. Appreciate it. You're welcome. And also, I want to say on the podcast, I've got another podcast coming up. Next week, I'm up in Belge, Belgium uh, with Luke Durridge. And we're going to do a Q&A, um, a whole potty on Q&A, so questions and answers. So send in your questions to lifeinthepeloton.com. And um, Durbo and I'll have a go at answering them. Whatever you want to know, maybe you want to know some more questions about Marcel. I'll try and pick his brain now so I can answer it by Luke Dobridge. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> great, thanks, mate. You're welcome. Nice.